Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello there, dear listeners. Here we go again, another episode. This one is number 683. Has it really been 683 episodes? Yes, it has, Luke. 683, in fact, a lot more than that, when you think about it. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, anyway, that's good, isn't it? Very meaningful, Luke. Meaningful comments. You didn't plan to say all this at the beginning, did you? No, I didn't. This is where... You know the score, don't you, listeners? If you've heard my podcast enough times recently, that the basic format is I mention Luke's English Podcast Premium in order to gently suggest that you might want to consider uh, signing up to it because it will change your life for the better. (laughs) Surprisingly powerful sales rhetoric there. Where did that come from? I don't know. And then there's the jingle, and then I introduce the episode. Sometimes the introduction goes on a little bit too long, and then we kind of get started properly. That, well, okay, let's do that then, shall we? Okay, let's do that. So, here we go. Before we start properly, here is a quick mention about Luke's English Podcast Premium. Premium Lepsters, hello. I just want to let you know that Premium 24 is now finished and uploaded. It's an epic series, homophones, jokes, building your vocabulary, which, as we know, is so important and also working on your pronunciation. So if you didn't know that, that all those episodes are there, then, you know, jump in and get them. When I say jump in, I don't literally mean that you should be jumping in, you know, it's just just an expression. I mean, you know, uh, open up the app on your phone and there they are. And you can listen to them. I've also uploaded uh, premium number 25 as well, which contains pronunciation drills for the previous free episode. Uh, That is Luke's English Podcast 682, which was the one all about English accents, the most recent one. So I said that I would do a pronunciation episode for that, didn't I? Yes. And I've done it. So you can practice saying the sentences with my normal accent and also with several regional accents too. The aim being to strengthen both your listening skills and your speaking skills. Where do I get more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, Luke? Well, just go to uh, teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. Okay. The second thing is uh, the Wispolep competition, why I should be on Luke's English Podcast. The deadline is, what is the deadline? It's the 31st of October, isn't it? No, it's not. You, um... You, you don't know the, the update. Uh, if, if you think it's the 31st of October, you're wrong. It's the 15th of October. Dun, dun, dun. I moved the date because of reasons. Uh, so the deadline for the competition is the 15th of October. Okay. Originally, I said the 31st of October, but the date has changed. The deadline is now the 15th of October uh, in the year of our Lord, 2020. If you don't know what the competition is, check out Episode 681, everything is explained there. But this, I sound like I'm I'm a presenter on Top Gear, but this is episode 683. 
This is episode 683, and I'm keen to get started. So let's go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Jingle, 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 jingle. Hello and welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. It's new episode time again. Have you been waiting? Yes, well, okay, fine. Do we have to keep doing this conversation? I don't know. You keep doing it, Luke. Um, all right, look, look, we've got to get through the intro. Got to do the intro. Don't, I've, I can't spend too long on this. I want to get to the conversation with, with the episode guest, but I do feel like I need to say some things to you first. It's not going to go on forever. Right. So this is an episode with a guest. Um, you're going to be listening to another authentic conversation at natural speed in English, which can be difficult to follow, but it's good training for your English. Before going any further, let me explain the title of this episode. It's 683, that's obviously the number of the episode, Feel Good Stories of Flirting with Marie Connolly. Okay, so feel good, feel good stories. Feel good is an adjective, it's one word. It's an adjective that we use to describe anything that makes you feel good. For example, we can say a feel-good film, feel-good food, or feel-good stories, uh, which would be stories that will make you feel good. Then we got, so it's feel-good stories of flirting. Flirting means interacting with someone in a way that shows that you fancy them and that you find them attractive and that you are uh, probably interested in perhaps getting romantically involved with them, let's say. Hmm. Synonyms of that would include chatting someone up, hitting on someone, or perhaps trying to pick someone up. A person can be a flirt, and the adjective is flirtatious, okay? So, feel-good stories of flirting with Marie Connolly. And Marie Connolly is my guest in this episode. Marie is a stand-up comedian, a ski instructor, and an English teacher, and a writer. Lots of things. Her latest book is full of short stories about flirting with the opposite sex. Before we meet Marie and listen to her, let me give you some context to help you understand this conversation, which can ultimately help you learn more English from it. So Marie is from Australia, but she's lived in a few different countries. It's a bit of a stereotype that Aussies like to travel away from Australia, and this is called going on walkabout. It's a bit of a stereotype, but in this case, it's true. Marie has spent time in various places, including Brisbane, Sydney, London, Liverpool, the French Alps, the mountains, and now Paris. Marie was born in Australia, but her dad was from Liverpool in England, just in case you were wondering. Which Liverpool is that? Is that Liverpool, um, Nigeria? That's a that's kind of a Paul Taylor joke, Luke. Uh, London, Nigeria. That's his punchline. Did you mean... Liverpool, well, let's pick another random place that it could be in. Do you mean Liverpool, Texas? No, um, I mean Liverpool in England. So her her dad was from Liverpool. Her mum was from El Salvador in Central America, which is quite an interesting combination, isn't it? For those of you who are interested in accents and pronunciation, Marie has a slight Australian accent because that's where she grew up. It's not super strong, but you should be able to notice it a bit if you are paying attention to that sort of thing. Here are the main things that you're going to hear us talking about. So, as you might expect, we chat a bit about stand-up comedy, uh, 
because she is a comedian like me, uh, what it's like dealing with tough moments on stage and reasons why it can be hard to do stand-up in front of audiences of non-native speakers. Yes, this is a subject that um, I touch upon quite often on this podcast uh, because obviously it's a, you know, because many of my friends are stand-up comedians and this is something we have to deal with. But I think it's also funny to listen to stories of of comedians struggling on stage. I think so. Um, I'm afraid to say that the infamous Russian joke story makes yet another appearance, which is my fault because, as you'll hear, I'm the one who brings it up. I know, I know. I can't believe I'm still talking about the Russian joke. And, and also, some of you are now saying, wait a minute, Luke, what, what is the Russian joke? Well, um, long-term listeners will know all about this. Clearly, I have deep mental scars from this experience, which still haven't healed. Either that or I just secretly love telling this story. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just keep listening because I am going to tell the story once more. Yes, I I know, I know, man. Um, Marie gives some thoughts on Liverpool, where some of her cousins live, and her favourite English shops for buying clothes, which leads to some chat about Marks and Spencer, the quintessentially English clothing and food shop, which also has branches in Paris where you can buy proper tea. And no, that's not property. No, they don't sell flats and houses. No, I mean proper tea. That's good quality tea. I'm just now pausing for laughter. I'm just giving you a chance to just laugh and breathe and recover from that joke. And some of you are thinking, joke? What joke? Well, just rewind and listen again. Uh, Marie tells us about her time living and partying hard in London and then her decision to move to France to work as a ski instructor at a ski resort in the Alps while making trips to Paris to perform comedy gigs. You'll hear some details of Marie's comedy shows in English and French in Paris. At the moment, she's doing her own one-woman show in English called Sydney, London, Paris, Darling. You can see it if you're in town, COVID permitting, of course. Actually, at the moment in, in France... Theatres are still allowed to open and Marie's show is in a theatre, so it's still on. If you're in town, if you're in Paris, why not come and check it out? She's very funny and she has some great stories to share. Um, You can basically get the details by going to, if you're on Facebook, uh, Marie Connolly Comedy. All right. Then we move on to talk about the latest book that Marie has written which is called 40 Frenchy Feel-Good Flirts. And I think you should understand the title of that now. It contains uh, 40 short stories. Uh, This is yet another book recommendation on the podcast. After, you know, my mum's book recommendation, we talked about A Gentleman in Moscow. Actually, I was thinking about that and thinking, I wonder what Russian people think of this book written by an American about a Russian character living in Russia. Mm. Anyway, uh, there was that. There's my dad's book, Park Life. Park Life. Uh, But now we've got uh, Marie Connolly's book, 40 Frenchy Feel-Good Flirts. It contains 40 short stories. Um, I think it could be a really good thing to read if this is your cup of tea. Short stories are perfect for learners of English because they're, they're short. Do I need to say more? I probably don't. It's Chicklet, C H I C K hyphen L I T. Chicklet. Is that hyphenated? Do we hyphenate chicklet? Chicklet, is it one word or is it? Uh, Wikipedia thinks it's two words. Um, goodreads.com lists it as two words. 
chicklitclub.com lists it as one word. Amazon lists it as uh, two uh, two words, hyphenated. Mm, I'm going to go for the... Uh, what, what did I write in my notes here? Uh, hyphenated. It's chicklit. Okay, literature for, for chicks. A chick is a... It's a slightly old-fashioned word slightly maybe derogatory word is it anyway it's a sort of a, a slang word for a girl a bit old-fashioned now anyway but so the book is chicklet and this means books primarily for women that usually include romantic themes it's not just for women anyone can read them of course uh, the stories in in marie's book are all cute anecdotes about times when men have flirted with her hit on her or chatted her up so Imagine Marie. Off, most of the stories take place in Paris, but there are stories from other areas that she's lived in. Imagine Marie in Paris and Frenchmen approaching her. Right, it happens quite a lot. Here are stories, little stories of each guy that have, that's uh, approached her. There's no explicit sexual stuff in Marie's book, and now some of you are going to kind of going, "Oh, that's a pity." Um, but as Marie says, it's just innocent fun. So it's less 40 shades of grey and more 40 shades of, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm now pausing again for even more laughter and applause. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And yeah, some of you are thinking, what, what did I miss? Was there a joke? Yes, there was a joke. Go back and listen again. You'll hear it. Uh, the rest of the episode is mainly Marie sharing some of her stories of flirty moments with men who she's encountered. She also talks a bit about how French men are different to Australian or English men. What do you think the differences might be, listeners? What do you think Marie is going to say about the way a French man will approach her compared to an English or Australian man? Hmm. Have I piqued your interest? I hope so. Listen on to find out the details. Now, vocabulary. Vocab hunters, here is some language which you can simply notice as you listen. Uh, when you hear these things, take a mental note. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through this vocab in all the proper detail. I'm just going to say it to you just to help you notice it when it comes up in conversation. I know that you're keen to get to the conversation, but bear with me. This will be useful for your English, and that's what this is all about, isn't it, at the end of the day? And at the beginning of the day and the middle of the day, and in fact, any other time of the day, basically learning English is what this is all about. So trust me, okay? I'm a professional. I have a particular set of skills. Um, skills I've developed over a very long career. I, I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not explaining all this vocab now. I'm just saying it out loud so you can notice it yourself when it comes up naturally. If you don't understand these phrases, don't worry. I will explain it later in the episode after the conversation. But you might be able to work out these words and phrases from context as you listen. Anyway, here's some vocab for you to notice in the conversation. And by the way, there is some swearing in this conversation. Okay, so first one is to to backtrack. For example, you can't backtrack. The word backtrack actually comes up twice in the conversation. Uh, next, to stick in someone's craw. For example, it's stuck in my craw. It bothered me. Again, I'm not explaining these. I'm just saying them so that you can then identify them when you hear them later. Uh, next one is to be over it. For example, maybe I'm not over it. Uh, next, deep scars. Maybe the maybe there are deep scars. 
I said mental scars as well earlier, didn't I? Scars. Uh, to wilt. I wilted in front of them. To be stick uh, to what? Huh? To be sick to your stomach. I was sick to my stomach. To be swallowed up. Can I please be swallowed up? Um, a halter neck top, which I will define. It's an it's an item of women's clothing that's quite revealing. For example, I was wearing a halter neck top. Next, to snuggle under the duvet. For example, if I could have, I would have snuggled under the duvet and just stayed in bed for a year. Next, uh, Alex Love, our mutual friend, lovely by name and lovely by nature. Um, A coping strategy. For example, every comedian has their own coping strategy. Next, to rectify. Get back on stage as soon as possible and rectify. Uh, Next, we have the word dainty and also the word pastries. I'm not used to French dainty pastries. I prefer the big fat Australian ones. Then we have the word self-soothing, and I don't have an example for that. Next, uh, to pay through the nose. For example, I will pay through the nose. I just want to get the best tea I can get. Um, We also have the word hub, a hub, and also the word antipodeans. So, this place was a hub for Antipodeans. Next, the expression to be up shit creek. Um, The full expression is to be up shit creek without a paddle. So, um, for example, because of Brexit, I'm up shit creek. Next one is a snapshot of something. For example, it's a snapshot of life in France. Uh, We have to be hit on, to be picked on, to be complimented. For example, 40 times I've been hit on, picked on, or complimented by men. Picked on. No, picked up. Let me say that again. To be hit on, to be picked up, or to be complimented. So, 40 times I've been hit on, picked up, or complimented by men. Uh, Next was the word abs. Um, Abdominals. Abdominal muscles. Abs. Uh, One was very white, but he had super fit abs. Also, I just want you to think about uh, the word white and the word pale to describe a person. If you said uh, he was very white uh, or he was very pale, is there a difference in the sense of those words? Uh, next, we have the, the word, uh, the phrase calf muscles, certain muscles on your body. We also have a sand castle. That is a castle made of sand, the sort of thing that children make on the beach. Uh, we have to blush. For example, he would blush and I would feel amazing. Uh, remember, I'm, I expect you to try to work these words out from context if you don't know them, and I will explain them at the end, and you can check to see if you were right. Next, we've got uh, the contents of a book, and also to pique someone's interest, which has already been said in this episode. Can I read through the contents of the book to pique people's interest? And we have to mime, mime, for example, he started swimming with his hands. He was miming, and I was laughing. Then a man bun, a man bun, which is something that men will might have. Um, it's a hairstyle for men. He had long hair up in a man bun. I called him Mr. Man Bun. And then we've got uh, the phrase chicklet, which I've already said. Okay, so try to notice those things. Maybe try to guess what they mean. And I'll be explaining them on the other side of the conversation. But mainly, I hope you just enjoy listening to this chat. Thank you for what's the word for it, tolerating this introduction. 
It's not tolerating. Look, it's all very important, like you said. Okay, trust yourself. Okay, I'll trust myself. I've got a particular set of skills. You've got a particular set of skills. Exactly. Now, get ready, because things are going to speed up a bit now as we meet Marie Connolly. Marie, how do we know each other? Ah, yes. Luke, you and I met at a comedy gig because you're a comedian, I'm a comedian, I think maybe about seven years ago. We met in London. Did we? Yeah, the first time I met you yes. was at a gig. I don't remember what the name of the gig was, but it was in Hoxton, Shoreditch. Yes. It was, it was run by Alex Love. Yes, remember, Laughing remember? Horse. Yes. Was it Laughing Horse? It's, he does Laughing not, Horse. Not Alex, um, not oh, that no, Alex. Ale- yes, Alex, Alex Love. Ah, uh, yes, I remember Alex Love. He's lovely. Yes, yes. he is. Yes. By name and by, by nature. By nature, exact. <laughs> exactly. So Alex Love and what, you did a gig and I did a gig. So Alex set up this gig um, and we went along. Just another typical sort of London gig, you know, in the early days, sort of open mic type stuff. Yes. And uh, we b- went along. The gig was cancelled. Oh. And so we, we were sitting there sort of waiting. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, you know, you're on the, you're performing as well. I'm Marie. I'm Luke. Hello. And uh, we kind of worked out that we both were TEFL teachers. Uh-huh. So uh, we had that in common. I think that's why I remembered you, because you, you know, do the same job as me, or yeah. did at the time. Not for my charming personality, just, well. for, the fa- <laughs> just for my job. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> and your charming personality, of course. Yes. I mean, if it was just a job, I would be like, oh, is that... <laughs> you can't backtrack. Keep going. All right, fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's how we first met. And so we didn't gig. The gig was cancelled, but we met. And you you were already living in Paris at that time? Or no, you... no. I was living in London. Oh, okay. This must have been 2011, something like that. Yeah, sounds right. And then I moved to Paris in 2012. and uh, then, I moved in 2013. Yeah, and, and we sort of just bumped into each other at a comedy show. I yes. Like, I know you. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, right. Yes. And then we saw each other. We both went to support a mutual friend doing some comedy in Paris the yeah. 9th. Yeah. You were in the queue. I was in the queue. We ran into each other again. Yes. We kept running into each other. Luke. That's right. That's yes. right. The TEFL teachers. So, yeah. yes. So we did comedy. Um, and then we started doing, co- well, we started doing comedy in France, stand-up comedy. And it was a really cute scene. Do you remember? It totally. was a really... Um, lots of expats in the audience and it was a smaller scene. All the comedians really supported each other. Mm-hmm. It was a very fun times. So. It's not anymore? I uh, don't do as many open mics anymore because I've got a one-woman show. Uh, so I spent a lot of more of my energy. I think back in like seven years ago, I was trying to just learn to meet new people, meet the comics, find out where the clubs were. So... Um, Probably I'm not the, the, the shine. I've, I've lost a bit of the shine. But back in those days, Paris was so exciting. And it still is. But, you, you know, when you first arrive in a city, you don't know many people, but you're doing your passion, which is comedy. So for me, it still holds a special warm feeling in my heart. But mm. it, it has changed a bit. For me at that time, if it, there was a bit of a wave. I mean, it wasn't a huge wave, but like a, a sort of a ripple yes. of, of uh, English language stand-up in Paris. And the, the, the wave really sort of broke and reached its high point with the success of probably Paul Taylor. Yes. Who's a friend of the podcast. Yes. He's a regular, regular guest, before you say anything. Hello, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> There's not really much to say, is there, anyway, in, in regards you know to Paul? I mean, in terms, Paul? Of, in terms of negative things, I mean, about no, Paul. No, exactly, Paul's, exactly. Paul's He's great. a talented guy and, yeah. and very nice. Yeah. But I, we, when we were doing comedy, because I live uh, outside of Paris sometimes, and I come to Paris to do comedy, so I had gone away... And in that time, Paul became famous. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back, it was a, it was a different, you're talking about the wave. So yes, so then there was a breakthrough in stand-up comedy. He had made it more, uh, everybody suddenly was very interested. Well, I guess what sort of happened, I must mention Sebastian Marks as well. Yes. Who's been plugging away, you know, very, Sebastian's sort of like playing this long game. Yes. And Paul just sort of like, poof, broke through really quickly well you say really quickly but he had been doing the open mics yeah uh, and he had committed i remember him committing to just uh, doing the comedy so he took some risks he didn't yeah. just you know it didn't come to him yeah i'm trying to defend Paul. no no you no, it's it's correct your your reading of the situation i think is correct that he did make a decision that's the key thing yes that he 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 made a he took a risk made a sacrifice gave up his job at apple yes. And it paid off for him because he was all in. Yes. Uh, but also, yeah, true. A lot of things that were leading up to the success, like the fact, you know, his job had prepared him to an extent because he did lots of presentations, training at, at work. And also, um, yeah, lots of open mic stuff. We did a show, Paul and me. I remember. Would, yeah. Yes, you did a half-half, 30 we, minutes and 30 minutes. Two-man show, 30 minutes and 30 minutes. It was called Sorry We're English. Yes, I thought that title was brilliant. We did it for a year. Yes. Um, and uh, in the middle of that, Paul made the the video about uh-huh. La Bise, the kissing culture in France, yes. and put it up on YouTube, and poof, it hit a million views within a couple of days. Yes, crazy. Um, and that was amazing. And then, sort of in the middle of that, uh, we were doing our show, you know. Um, in a proper theatre or well, in a pub? like club? No, we were doing it at the Pan Am. Wow. Um, and uh, so we were doing it there, and... Suddenly the room started filling up because ah. people knew about Paul, but they were coming to see Paul. Yes. So, um, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, there's a lot of psychology <laughs> involved, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, my, uh, for me it was a bit tough because yes. I was then I, – yes. I would usually do the first 30 minutes and yes. I just – I didn't often – I had like a maybe five shows that were just not good. I mean, they weren't – bad like they the, the audience weren't hating me or anything they just were looking at me and just listening, waiting for Paul just listening to me and just kind of like at times I was thinking do you realize the show has started right <laughs> you know, do you know I'm telling you jokes there's like you know I've got a, a famous story about it which oh am I going to tell this my no. listeners are now going no Luke no not the Russian joke <laughs> Do you know about the Russian joke? No, please. Okay, right. <laughs> I'm responsible. Right, listeners, that was me, wasn't it? I did that. It's a it's a long running thing that uh, uh, this keeps. Normally, Paul brings up the Russian joke, and yes. then there's someone who goes, "What? What's the Russian joke?" And then I have to tell the story, and it's a story that cannot end because every time I tell it, someone else asks me to explain the joke at the heart of the story, and then it, off we go again. So. Are you ever going to tell me this? What's the story? <sighs> okay, I'll tell you the story, right? I'll, I'll give you the sort of the 20 peso version of this, <laughs> all right? So, uh, okay, so I was on stage, so half, half the room was, you know, uh, we'd, we had half a room, and I was doing my thing, general crowd work at the beginning. A couple of people arrived late, and I said, oh, you're a bit late, where are you from? 
So, you know, as a stand-up, you're trying to think of things, you know, you're trying to make jokes for what's going on at the time. Yes. Mostly French people in the audience, a few other people and stuff. Anyway, these two people, oh, you're a bit late. Where are you from? And they said, we're Russian. And I said, well, you weren't Russian to come here, were you? <laughs> Very good. Right. I love it. Now, okay. Now, it's not the greatest joke. In the- it's a dad joke, right? But it's, it's it, it, considering I did it on the spur of the yes. moment, I was actually quite proud of it, quite yes. pleased at the time. And so I said that and nothing, no one, like, it's like they hadn't identified that a joke had occurred, Mm. which is the thing that sort of Mm. maybe sticks in my craw a bit. Is that an expression? The thing that sort of, that's the thing that kind of bothers me a little bit is that uh, they didn't notice that a joke had happened. They hadn't appreciated your genius. Yeah, exactly. They're like, guys. Something fantastic just happened. Yeah. And you didn't notice. Yes. Um, (laughs) So, but I was willing to to laugh about it and and you know what it's like performing in front of people who don't speak english as a first language they don't get the jokes and and so what you sometimes do is you backtrack and you kind of sometimes sort of um self-explain you explain yourself and that can be funny as well you can can be like oh that was a joke guys i think um you know sometimes that works okay sometimes it does i know it's kind of like um you know ultimately it's a you've you've failed with your first joke and going back and explaining is never good. But I don't think there are rules in, in, no. in comedy. I think that, and I've done that before. I've had situations where, you see, it tends to work when half the room understood the joke and the other half didn't. Exactly. And then I can say, oh, you know, guys, I think you didn't understand the joke. And the others are then laughing because they, they got it. But, you know, that didn't happen in this case. <laughs> so I said, oh, I think uh, you missed a very clever joke there, actually. Uh, they just came in late. And I said, uh, where are you from? They said, we're, we're Russian. I said, well, you weren't Russian to come here, were you? And they still didn't notice. Like, they just, you know, it's like no one knew noticed that, a, the first joke happened, and B, <laughs> I was then making a, a double joke that it had gone into the realms of, like, self-parody. Oh, my God. Like, just, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously um, giving myself a lot of credit for being multi-layered and clever. Yes. But at the same time, um, you know, I was just like, fuck this, you know, <laughs> you will notice that I made two jokes, you know, and, um, and they just listened as if they were like, okay, these are the, these are words. When's the show going to start, oh you know? God. And, and then I just carried on, but there, that's just one example of like little things that happened, like just me just doing material and them just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, listening and yes. people nodding, Yes, you know, sort of, yeah, we understand. So, yes. No, you don't. Yes. There are many things that you're completely missing here, you <laughs> bastards. And um, and then Paul would go up, go up, and hey, and, and then they'd all be falling off their chairs. Just even often, he's just there. I mean, it's, to be fair, he's great. Yes, so. but it is interesting how success um, mm-hmm. will help. It's actually easier to do comedy if you're you've got a little bit of success behind you. Uh, you can do the exact same set. You know it. You can do mm. the exact same set in front of an audience and have a mediocre response and the exact same set in front of a different audience the next night and they will die. They will be laughing mm. in their, in their seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, but, he, and he's also got the, he had the, the video behind him. So they were so yeah. ready to laugh. Paul is always, is very oh, yeah. funny. Yeah, definitely. I'm not taking away from that at all. He's very funny. Yeah. So, but, uh, to have people ready to laugh, which is why I, I always want to do uh, – the Pan, Pan Am is fantastic, but I prefer to do comedy in a theatre because people are prepared mentally. Mm. They know they're going to a comedy club, mm. whereas if they're going to a bar, you might get some laughs, you might not, because they're yeah. not mentally 
they might be mentally ready, but they might be mentally just to have some ch- ready to have some chats with their yeah. friends. And I also find that you need a, a, a certain number of people in the audience to to like if if you get like a certain percentage of the audience laughing, then the others will laugh too. Yes, because they will feel yes. like it's okay. Yes, like some people will find it funny; they'll get it, but they won't laugh because they don't want to attract attention to themselves exactly they don't want to be the own the one madman or mad person laughing in the room yes and i've seen in the in french audiences people laughing and other people turning around and going like <laughs> don't <"Shh."> laugh <laughs> you know it's a culture it's a cultural thing yes yes and and like you know husband and what husbands and wives and the husband laughs and the wife elbows him <laughs> yes like don't laugh you're embarrassing me yes you know that kind of thing but you know, I can't. To be honest, I can't believe I'm still talking about this because it's been a long time. But uh, uh, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm not over it. Maybe yeah, I'm, maybe there are deep scars. You've been traumatized. You've been traumatized. It affected you, Luke. <laughs> so we've all been affected. We've all got mm. the r- one sort of Russian joke. I don't have a. a it's not Russian. I, I've started doing stand up in French. I started about two years ago, and a really nice comic, a French comic, he was performing in a proper theatre. He said to me, you can do the first seven minutes of my show. You can open for me. Mm. And I was like, thank you. He hadn't even seen me in French. Uh, and nobody was giving me any open mic space. I kept knocking on doors, but they didn't know who I was, so yeah. they weren't giving me any time because I wasn't friends with anybody. Um, right. So this really nice comic in a proper theatre where people paid to come and see him for one hour said that I could have seven minutes. And I got up on stage and, you know, um, there was a group of 20 footballers in the audience. Ooh. I know. And I got up on stage in my tight jeans, my ass foot practically just stuffed into my jeans <laughs> and, you know, wearing a tiny little halter neck top, my hair like falling over my shoulders, like proper girly girly. Mm. And they just... I, I I wilted in front of them. I wasn't funny. I didn't get that first laugh. And I just retracted back into myself. They saw I was uncomfortable. The more I, And I got even more uncomfortable, which made the audience uncomfortable. And then the footballers just started speaking over me. They oh. started having a conversation of their own. Um, oh. It was so horrific. That is the worst. Yeah. I, I, that really makes me angry. Yes, they were well, they, they weren't well, uh, they weren't a good audience. Um, very rude. And a couple of them started like looking at their phones you know that sort of thing that's incredibly horrible and rude and it was one of my very first gigs in french so my confidence uh really hit the floor but luckily i had to gig i had promised him i would gig i would do it every night Mm. for three weeks Mm. so i was committed to coming back the next night i was so sick to my stomach that night thinking can i just please be swallowed up and not have to face the world again tomorrow but i had to go the next night and because it was so bad, I changed my tactic in French. I went a lot slower. I didn't wear a halter neck top. I didn't wear as much makeup. I wore a t-shirt. And yeah. uh, and I was less um, self-conscious about my body because they. I think they were making comments about my body, which is even worse as a female comedian. Can you imagine? Mm. Uh, guys can't understand it. So, uh, well, maybe you can understand it, but um, it, it's a real thing. You know, uh, men... Uh, judging you by your looks yeah so um i went in a t-shirt jeans sand shoes 
and I, um, I, I did all right. So the next night was okay. And then the following night, I got the laughs where I needed to go. Yeah. So thankfully, I pushed through. But just the, the horrific trauma from that, if I could have, I would have snug, snuggled under the duvet and just stayed in bed for a year. Alex, Alex Love, yes. our mutual friend, yes. uh, he, his technique when he has a bad gig is that he goes home, he eats biscuits and he listens to Queen. Ah, good. Which I think probably is very comforting. Yes. So everyone's, you know, everyone needs their own, every comedian has their own coping strategy for dealing with it. But certainly, yes, the best thing is to get back on stage as soon as possible. Yes. And and just sort of rectify, you know, fix yes, it. Exactly. There's a bakery in the Paris the 18th that sell... Like, I'm Australian, so I'm not used to the, the French dainty pastries. I like big, fat, you know, like... That like they look like they belong in America kind of pastries, <laughs> and um, I I will always if I'm having one of those gigs I'll buy two I'll buy like two different pastries and eat both of them yeah sugar 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 yeah 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 well you know that's that's all right it's justified in that case you know yeah. sort of uh, self soothing yeah definitely um, okay you're Australian yes so I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Brisbane. Can't you tell? Can't you tell? Hang on, I'll try and do my best Australian accent. There we go. Australian. G'day. Yeah, I'm from Brisbane. Yeah, grew up in Brisbane. And then when I was Brizzy. like... Yay! <laughs> Gosh, you. I would never say Brizzy. My friends, they say things like, I'm an Aussie, I'm from Brizzy. I hate it. I hate it um, because it's cutting the language and I have an appreciation for language. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not a, an Aussie. I'm an Australian. I'm not from Brizzy. I'm from Brisbane. Um, and I don't have cuz. Hey, cuz. I have cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so I'm from Brisbane. Uh, so, uh, But I left uh, to go and live in London in my 20s, early early 20s okay because my dad's from liverpool he's from oh, liverpool isn't is it? He? yeah my family from liverpool that's grace you're a scouser yes that's amazing <laughs> yeah our, our luke our marie what yeah. you, what were you doing down there in australia <laughs> no, I, yeah exactly so half of my cousins are from liverpool and my mother is central american so the other half of the the, the family live in um but in australia now Okay. Yeah. But originally they were from, yeah, Central. From El Salvador. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Okay, wow. So, and I always wondered why my dad, who is so British, um, is att- was attracted to my mother. Um, and I thought, because she's like fire, he's like ice. Uh, but then I went to Liverpool and met my cousins. And I was like, oh, my God, they're like fire, these fiery women from Liverpool. Yeah. So that you, that was it. So you have been to Liverpool. Yeah, I've, I've spent some time in Liverpool with my cousins. Um, what I you... like I like Liverpool because I like shopping. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> because it's got all my English shop. Every time I need, like I I know what I'm doing in the UK. I know where to go for my shopping. Um, it's got good clothes shopping. Favorite. I wouldn't say food shopping, but clothes shopping. Yeah. And um, you know, just the just the high street shopping. Liverpool is basically a big shopping centre these days. Yes. Um I lived there for four years as a student. Ah. Uh, but um uh which shops? Favourite shops? Ah uh, yes. I think probably um I'm not going to say the cheapy cheeps, but I, whenever I'm in the UK, I've got to do a quick Primark stop uh, to get the, you know, basics. Yeah. Um, but I I like Marks and Spencers for clothes and also for other products. Yeah, that's right. And in, in, they have Marks and Spencers in France. I love it. 
It's um, like a little mini, like living in Paris really isn't difficult if you're attached to the British culture because there's a bit of British culture here. Yeah, you've got the little, uh, uh, Marks and Spencer's is like an island of British, of Englishness. Yes. Is it Britishness or English? Both, whatever. Yes. Um, so, yes, that's nice. I mean, for example, what was, like whenever I need to get the right kind of tea, yes. Marks and Spencer. Because if I go to any supermarket here, the generic teas they have are... It's not tea. It's, I don't know what it is. Oh, see, you're very British. I am Australian, so I'm like, yeah, she'll be right, mate. Just, <laughs> just drink anything, yeah? Like, as long as it's hot. Lipton? No. <laughs> Twinings? Twinnings? No. Yeah. P- uh, Tetley? No. Really? No Even way. Tetley? None okay. of those things are okay. all out. Are you a P- what are you? I'm I'm um PG tips. I'll have a PG tips, yeah. Yes. That's 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 good. And but they're difficult to find here. Um <laughs> uh Yorkshire tea is 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 a cracking cup of tea, but okay. you can't buy that anywhere. So that's like whenever I'm back in the UK I'm How much up. space do I have in my soup suitcase? Yes. Can we stuff more tea in this bag? Yes. Um so I'll buy Yorkshire gold from Sainsbury's. I actually when I go to Sainsbury's in England now. Yes. I'm literally scanning the tea section, which I don't care anymore. I will pay through the nose. I just want the best tea I can get. <laughs> so I'm literally searching for the most expensive tea oh, wow. that I can get in wow. the supermarket. You're a tea addict. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I basically, uh, my policy is, yeah, I just, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> That's how important it is to me. But then in, in Marks and Spencer's, yes, um, M&S Gold Blend. Ah. Is, is, I think, actually the best tea. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I love from Marks and Spencer's is their trifle. Oh, yeah? Yes. They do good desserts, Marks and Spencer's. They do, yeah. yeah. English desserts. I need to do a whole episode about English desserts and things. Yes. That's, that's perhaps another story for another time. Yes. So, Australia to the London. The UK. And that's where I got into comedy. So, that's where I met Alex. And I was doing quite well. Um, and, of course, whenever I'm doing quite well, I'm like, oh, I think I'll change country. Um, <laughs> I think I'll make my life hard for like a decade. <laughs> and uh, which country to go to? Oh, I think it'll be France. Um, so I was in London. I ran a little open mic uh, in South London, in it, um, in Borough. And yeah. I loved it. It was really good. I met a lot of comics uh, who I'm still in. And I did a couple of Edinburgh Free Fringe Festivals. Yeah, yeah. And then I had a, I had just, I don't know about you, but I really was attracted to the French language. I really wanted to be fluent in French. And so I moved, but I didn't move to Paris because I'm not that bright. I moved to a mountain resort uh, in France uh, because I'm Australian. So I was so attracted to the snow. So, and I thought, you know, it'll be easy. I'll just catch the train to Paris or I'll just drive up to Paris to do comedy. Mm. Comedians drive all the time. I'll just do that. But in fact, uh, I think for comedy, if you're serious, you have to be in the actual city itself. Yeah. Um, so uh, so I did spend a bit of time waffling around with the comedy. And that's where we met. I was doing the up and down from the mountain um, in Paris. And now, I've, uh, now I'm in Paris. So I've got to focus because, you know, it's only been like uh, 15 years that I've wasted. <laughs> you know, everybody all in their own time. Can I ask you, just going back a bit, can I ask you when you first 
moved to London yes. for the first time, let's say the first time you went to the UK. I don't know when that was. Yes. What was it like for you as an Australian living in London? Was, was it difficult, strange, great? What was it like? Uh, there were a lot of Australians and there's still are Australians travel. Yeah. So there was a, a whole group of Australians in Earl's Court uh, and everybody got a job in a pub or the girls <laughs> got a job in that, like as a chambermaid in a hotel. And I think I got a, I got teaching English job. So I, yeah. I was an English teacher from there. So I was a bit more professional. It was a party scene. And back in the day, I would drink like an Australian. I say I'm not very Australian, but certainly am when it came to drinking. And uh, my friends were very uh, great drinkers and we were great smokers and we were great party people. And the shops were so fantastic in London. It was just just fun so much fun it was like being let loose in a in a lolly in a sweet store we just yeah. ran around london for like a decade i'm not joking um and then i, I got into comedy we started drinking even more <laughs> <laughs> i think the drinking was more important than the comedy and uh so for me i have very warm memories of london did you ever go to the redback Yes, I think I might have. It, it rings a bell, but I haven't even heard that name for so long. So, listeners. Was it, in, it was in Ealing. Yeah. It yes. was actually in Acton. Acton, yes. So, so listeners, right, uh, let me explain what the Redback is. It is a, a club, right? I thought it was a pub. It's a pub, but it was a pub that stayed open late on at the weekend, Friday and Saturday nights, um, and they would... I guess after a certain time, they'd move the tables away and it would become a sort of a, a, a club, basically. But it was a sort of hub for uh, Antipodeans, right? Um, so all the Aussies and Kiwis and also like... For some reason, South Africans... Yes, because we're the Southern hem Hemisphere. We've got to unite. Yeah. I would be... I would take the night bus home after being out in, let's say, Soho or, you know, Fitzrovia or somewhere with my mates. And I'd be on the night bus home, you know, all right, not too drunk. Um, and it would always be interesting. You'd, it was a long journey to get back to West Ealing, where I used to live yes. on the bus. And there was always a horrible traffic jam yes. outside the Redback. <laughs> Um, and it would always be because everyone was the, the place had just closed and everyone was coming out into the street and the, the place was just full of really drunk people, lots of drunk Australians. Yeah. And I saw people on the floor in the street uh, and police cars uh, and flashing lights and stuff. And it's like, oh, oh, we must be at the red back then. Yes. I think I might have gone once uh, yeah. because there was another pub. I think it was in, in Earl's Court. That was just as popular. Um, walkabout, probably. Probably. Yeah, there was a walkabout in uh, Charing Cross Road as well, ah. on Charing Cross Road. Yeah. Anyway, these are all cliches, actually. Yes, but but true. Like people, the stereotype uh, lives lives to its name. But I I were I lived in a house which was full of Australians and Kiwis, and there were like my my friend and I we shared a room we shared a bed and there were like 10 people for this four bedroom house one bathroom and one guy there was a combi van in the driveway one guy lived in the combi van outside wow. it was so australian yeah Fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. Okay. So happy days. Yeah. And how's your French then? Did you, when you when you decided to move because you loved the French language, 
Had, did you already speak some French? I spoke basic French because I used to do some ski seasons. I used to work some ski seasons and I would pick it up. I'm quite, I like languages. So mm. I'm going to, if I like the language, I'm, I'm going to pick it up a bit easier, I think. Um, so my French is good now, but I've been here for seven years. That's why. Um, but uh, it was, it was basic and I self-taught myself. I used because I'm a language teacher, I would like look at language differently probably than other people. And I just taught myself. I just read books and I just spoke as, as much as I could. Any, yeah, go on. And remember, I was in the mountains for a lot. So people in Paris, you get away with speaking English to people. There are a lot of people who want to speak English in Paris, which annoys me. Like I'll walk into a restaurant right now in Paris and uh, I'll, say the waiter, I'll say to the waiter, Bonjour, une table pour une, s'il vous plaît. He hears my accent. This guy just turns around and goes, Yes. You sit uh, anywhere you like. Uh, and I'm like, well, je m'assois ici. I'll respond in French. He'll be like, yes, I'm coming with the menu. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are we even in Paris? I can see the Eiffel Tower. We're definitely in Paris, mm -hmm. right? This guy, is he trying to impress me? That doesn't impress me. If two Chinese tourists were to walk in, which is not going to happen anytime soon, but if two Chinese tourists were to walk in and he turned around and went, Huan Ying Ting Su, that would impress me. But no, <laughs> this guy is trying to practice is his anglais de merde, his English <laughs> shit with me, right? And he can, but I'm an English teacher. So if you want to practice your, your, English, your English with me, it's 40 euros an hour, 50 for him. Right? And if he, goes, if he goes to the UK, right, I hope, like, just because you have an accent doesn't mean when you're in the country, doesn't mean that you can, you can go into another person's language. If you want to speak in English, you've got to go to, like, an, a language exchange or you've got to go to the UK or Canada, wherever you want to go. If that's what you want to do and when you get there you don't want somebody imagine a french guy turns up in london he's like oh i want a uh, fish and chips me it goes to a fish and chip shop he's like bonjour i i have uh, one fish and chips imagine the guy turn around and go like, that's not gonna happen you know because people need to be polite and respectful of other people trying to learn a language Yeah, do you think that the waiters, like, what are the waiters thinking when they don't see, all right, so, hold on a minute, the stereotype is, and what people think, is that the French people don't want to speak English, but this is not true, as we, as you've just explained, but what, what happens is, yeah, here's what happens, if you speak, uh, if you just speak English to a waiter, then they won't like it, they will speak to you in French, right? Yes. That's where that stereotype comes from. Because, of course, you know, you're in France, you should be speaking French. But if you go in and you speak nothing less than perfect French to them, they will switch to English. I don't agree. I speak French well enough to know straight away that I, I know what I'm talking about and he can understand me. It's not my accent, you know. Um, I have tried to reduce my accent, but it's like my ass. It's totally there, right? <laughs> so uh, it's totally there, Luke. But um, it's not that. I speak French well enough. It's a generation thing. So I, if I see a waiter that's younger than 25, 26, I know that guy's going to want to try and speak to me in English. Yeah. It's a generation thing. Yeah. A waiter 26 plus or maybe 30 plus is not going to respond to me in English. It's okay. a generation. Yeah. And, and then they say, they'll say, oh, I'm just trying to help you. I'm like, no, that doesn't help me. Um, and I don't need your help. But yeah. thank you. Does, uh, yeah. So I guess they are. 
uh, trying to be helpful. That's what they say. They're trying to be helpful because they, they, you know, because uh, they think, uh, you know, we have tourists who don't speak French, so I will speak English to them. It's but then there's another category that they're forgetting about, which is the people who want to speak French. Yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty a bit of a tricky thing. Yes, um, but I think yes, exactly. I think they would have so many tourists, and it would be slow trying to speak French to them, and it's too slow. And these waiters have got to get their get everybody served so they're trying to help but at the same time uh, it's really annoying to those who do speak French but you've got the right attitude which is that you persevere in French unlike me I'm like well I guess I have no choice but to speak English then you know because um uh, yeah, let's not go into my learning of French you know uh, that's another story for another time but yeah. um yeah, I, I'm too easily um, persuaded to, uh, to speak English, uh, let's say. Yes. So, yeah, it's all about motivation, isn't it, at, at the end of the day? Yes. Um, okay, uh, right. Now, you you, do, you are doing shows in Paris yes. at the moment. So yes. if I have any listeners who are in Paris and they would like to come and see Marie perform on stage and laugh, because laughing is good, right? You have to laugh behind your mask, but I'll see your eyes laughing. <laughs> Do you, you can see the mask moving <laughs> like that. I'll hear you. Yeah. Um, uh, what are the what? Tell us about your show so that if if people here they can come and see you. Yes. Uh, well, I have a Facebook page. It's called Marie Connolly Comedy. Connolly is two O's, two N's, two L's. Two whoa, whoa, whoa. Two O's, C O N N O L L Y. Yes. Very good. Yes. And Marie, like in French, because I don't know how people people probably just call you Luke, but my name is Marie M A R I E, and they call me Mary all the time. It's so annoying. So you want, but you see, because because they're thinking I can't call her Marie right yeah. so they convert it to Mary yes. but they don't realize that in English there is a name which is Marie yes that's right they they totally don't realize yeah. so I have to educate every single French person I ever meet uh, as I go don't worry I do it I do it I've got the time so my French comedy or all my comedy is Marie Connolly comedy on my Facebook page and this week uh, and for the next two weeks I'm gigging in a little theatre in the 9th arrondissement in Paris um, and I've got a French show at 7.30 called Une Australienne en Vadrouille which means an Australian a walk gone, gone walkabout basically yeah. and, and then I've got the exact same show but it's in English called Sydney, London, Paris, Darling. So the show talks about my life as a comedian in Sydney, London, Paris, and my final destination, which is Darling, because I've got to find my Darling because Brexit is happening and I'm up shit creek, right? Because my father is English. I've got British nationality. What to do? So, uh, and it talks about me and my stand-up um, challenges of doing stand-up in French, uh, and I make a bit of fun about Australians along the way and the Brits and the French. Make a bit of fun about everybody. But it's good vibes and uh, I've had good feedback. So I've got this week uh, uh, the 9th of October. I've got next week the 16th of October. Luckily, it's in a little theatre because they've just closed the bars in Paris because sometimes they're gigging bars as well. Mm. All my bar gigs have been cancelled. But luckily, the theatre gigs are still going ahead and people can get tickets on the door. You can check out all the links on my Facebook page. Marie Connolly Facebook. Yes, Marie okay. Connolly Comedy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Marie Connolly Comedy Facebook. Yes. On Facebook. Yes. Okay. Uh, and you've written a book. I have. The COVID happened, right, as a lot of authors. And 
and I thought, okay, I, I better get this book out there. And it's called 40 Frenchy Feel Good Flirts. 40 Frenchy Feel Good Flirts. Could you kind of break down the name for us? So it's a snapshot into life in France via a, a single woman's eyes. And it's about 40 times I've been hit on, uh, picked up or hit on or complimented by guys in France Uh that that are happy, fun, feel good, t- that make you laugh or that make you smile. They're very innocent stories. To be hit on. Because yes. we have to clarify because, you know, there's bound to be someone who goes, Every, how many times has she been hit? What? <laughs> uh, to be hit on is different to to be hit, right? Very. Could you want to explain that? To yes. be hit on? It's when a man uh, finds you attractive and he comes up and he'll say, like I had a guy, I, apparently for me, the, the signal to men in Paris is if I sit on a bench, it happened to me the other night. Uh, I was in Paris for less than an hour the other night. I arrived back. I'm telling you, two two things happened. The first thing was my phone was going to die. So I, I sat on a bench, which is the wrong thing to do as a woman in Paris. That's the signal for men to come and try to hit on you, which yeah. means to pick you up, which means to try to flirt with you. Um, so I sat down on the bench. My phone was going to die and I really needed to find something. A guy came, sat down. He said something to me. I was like, wait a minute, monsieur. Wait, wait. My phone was going to die, right? And so he waited ever so patiently. When I got my information, I turned to him. I knew it was coming. He sa- I said, sorry, what did you want? And he, I, knew, I knew he was going to say it. And he said, he said, and this is what I like about, and this is what I find interesting about Frenchmen. Um, he said ever so politely, I wanted to know if we could get to know each other. I would like to get to know you. Very polite, very soft voice. There was no threat. He didn't come into my space. And I stood up and I said, no, thank you. Um, I'm, I just needed to check something on my phone. But have a good evening. And I walked away. And you know what? There's no harassment. The guy, I've, in my experience, I've found that a lot of men will attract you, ask you stupid questions. I've, I've had a guy stop me in the street and pretend that he couldn't read his phone and ask me to read a text message, which, by the way, was a publicity and advertising from some glasses shop, you know, nothing, nothing important, just to, just to make conversation. So guys tend to be very polite and, um, in, in my opinion and in my experience, uh, but they try to initiate conversation with you. But for me, unfortunately, the signal seems to be for them if you sit on a bench by yourself in Paris. Don't sit on benches if you don't want to be hit on by men. So tell us the, the book at 40... Uh, Frenchy Feel Good Flirts. You've got the book here, 40 yeah. Frenchy Feel Good Flirts. It's available on Amazon, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, you'll find the name on the website, um, you know, as usual, ladies and gents, on the uh, page for the episode. Uh, Ooh la la, le monsieur makes me blush. Um, and so, right. So 40 stories. Yes, 40 short stories. And they're all innocent. I've changed the names. Um, none, there's no sex. There's no like, uh, it's not a kissing book or anything like that. It's just really innocent, fun, funny moments of when guys have tried to compliment me or make me laugh. Um, or if I've tried to make them laugh. Like I've worked as a ski school receptionist. So there's, I had, I was surrounded by French ski instructors for like six months of my life. It was the best six months of my life, right? <laughs> I was so happy. They were so competitive, so masculine. It was such a testosterone environment. And they seemed to be attracted to the Australianness of it all. And, uh, one of, and they just say it like it is. I remember one day I had my, I was the receptionist. I had my files on the floor 
and um, Valentin came down the stairs. I was kneeling over my files and he's like, Marie, what are you doing kneeling? You're so sexual as he walks out. I mean, they just would say things like that to me and I had to get used to There was no sort of um, etiquette. There was no political correctness in, in the office, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he went out the window. Are Frenchmen different to, let's say, Englishmen and Australian men? Ah, uh, yes. Um, Englishmen, definitely. How? Um, they are. They will come. They will say. I have a lot of eye contact with French men in the street. I like. I like living in Paris because I do find men much more direct. They will come up, mm. but they they're not. Uh, they they come up. They're very polite. They will say yeah. just politely, "I'd like to get to know you. Or, Would you like to have a drink?" Um, and then when you say no, they will walk away. Whereas I think uh, an Australian man wouldn't do that unless he was perhaps a bit drunk. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not judging all Australians, but I'm just saying I don't think an Australian man would uh, have the flowery language. By that I mean, oh, I find you very attractive. Would you like to spend time? The intonation and the flowery language in France is very important. They learn it from a very young age. You see kids on Facebook talking to each other, calling each other, ma, mon chouchou, ma, ma petit coeur, you know, my little heart, my little flower. They learn it from a young age. So a French man flirting is going to pull out all that flowery language that he's learned as a kid and try it and use it on me to make me feel comfortable and to make me feel pretty. Whereas an Australian man might not... Uh, just even think he, he'll just be straight to the point you know like do you want do you fancy getting some mcdonald's with me you know something like that <laughs> i don't know Luke. do you know, no, I know i'm I know joking i know you're joking but uh um yeah i, t- I get the point I, I totally get it so uh, what's going on there then i mean like with the french guys I, I don't know. I'm you're 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 able to, to to talk about this much more coherently than I am. <laughs> I'm here to listen to you talk about this. Um, so it seems to be a bit more direct. Um, if uh, nice and polite, maybe f- a little for on the formal side. Uh, well, on the formal no? side in language, but um, yes, perhaps on the formal side in language. Quite direct though, just coming up and just being very clear. Like I would like to get to know you. Yes. Uh, whereas uh, an English or Australian guy would have to dress it up in in some sort of humour. They wouldn't necessarily say exactly what they mean. Yes, uh, and a no? French guy will say straight up how they find you physically. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll say I find you very attractive or I find you beautiful. And I've had one French guy chase. He he chased me down the street, but it wasn't in a bad chase. Wait, who, who, the, this is the French guys who say that they they yeah, the immediately guy, comment on your yes, appearance. Yes, okay. it's very important to them apparently to to compliment the woman. So mm. they let me know straight away that they find me attractive and they say it and I don't think an Australian man would say that I don't think an English man would say that you're right so for them physically and they've asked me how I find them so it's yeah and they wait they wait for me to give my reaction and I always say an adjective like um, that's non-physical I always say oh I find you hilarious or I find you sociable um, and they like no physically come how do you find me physically so yeah. for them they're asking me are you attracted to me physically wow yeah so sort of straightforward I like it yeah yeah I like it you don't like all this messing around I with- do like the English um, subtlety like I like English humor so a man for me I find something that's very attractive is if somebody's very funny Mm-hmm. And the British, I've, in my opinion, are very funny. Some of the guys are very clever. 
uh, and I enjoy that. So a man can make me laugh and he'll know that I'm attracted if I'm laughing and I find him. Yes. Um, but I'll also be attracted. And one of the stories in my book, so my 40 Frenchy Feel Good Flirts isn't always about the um, attractive, like the physical. There's a story in there. I went camping and one of my friends uh, introduced me to her English friends and there were kids running around with little English accents. I've been in France for seven years. So I was like, oh my God, listen to the little, they're like, oh, mommy, look at me. Oh, daddy, over here. And they're like, women were going, Oscar, um, I'm watching you, Oscar. I'm watching you. It's okay. And I was like, oh my God, so many English accents wait going around. Wait, wait, sorry. I, I missed something. Yes. So wh- where, uh, who, where did you hear these English accents? I went camping with yeah, my friends right. who were English. Yes. I hadn't heard the English accent for so long. It was so lovely to hear these little kids running around like, oh mummy and um and there were three english gu- there were english women and their english husbands three english husbands right one was very white but had super fit abs actually i shouldn't i shouldn't say it like that because it sounds like white is negative because i used but you mean pale <laughs> he no? was scottish he was scottish yeah. so uh he was fit and the other one was super fit as well he had a very good chest and the third one had these really great muscly legs right called mm-hmm. him calf muscles and my friend went to do some cooking she said marie um can i leave you in charge of my like 10 year old just keep an eye on him i was like yeah no problem the minute she turned Away, her ten-year-old was standing over the sandcastle. These little kids had made a set. The little ones, had yeah. threatening to stamp on the walls of the sandcastle. All these kids, all I could hear was like, "No, Georgie, no, don't do it." <laughs> and Georgie was standing over the fucking sandcastle with his foot right. So I get up. I'm like, Georgie, because I'm supposed to be keeping an eye on him. What are you doing? He's like, uh, nothing. And I was like, why don't you come with me? Let's go for a walk. I don't want to go for a walk. And I was like, why don't you leave the little kids alone? No, I don't want to leave the little. And he just was being a complete shit. Yeah. Right. Anyway, calf muscles comes up. So these, the, these three guys you were talking about were in the vicinity. Yes. Right. And one of them comes over. Yes. Ca- calf muscles. Calf comes- muscles comes over and just puts his hand heavy on Georgie's shoulder and went, mate, let's go for a walk. And he took him away. And I'm telling you that story because that for me in that instant, calf muscles went from being a nice guy to incredibly attractive. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's that, it's, that's how it happens for me. I was just like, oh, my God, I would so sleep with you right now because you have just saved me. My saviour. He was my camping hero. I see. So there are a couple of stories like that in the book, but the rest are more direct, like, Madame, I find you very beautiful. Can I get to know you? Okay. Uh, And there's a few in there about my comedy experiences, Mm. like comics, um, because, you know, uh, I hang around with lots of young comics um, who are like half my age, and I find it hilarious Mm. um, because I don't look my age as well. So they're trying to hit on me. Um, and so there are a few comedy flirts there. There are a few flirts from when I was a ski school receptionist and a few flirts because you know it, Luke, we're English language teachers. We meet very interesting students from all around the country, all around the world. And I've got an ex, I've got a lovely story about a guy from Kazakhstan. Ah, and I've got another story about a a teacher from Bristol. How many of these stories can you tell us now? (laughs) I can tell you that, uh, but Kazakhstan was just, uh, I tell you quickly, Kazakhstan. Do you know what I liked about him? The the the, the interesting. Wait a minute. Sorry, 
that you met him as a teacher. Yeah, you I was were, his teacher. You were teaching a group of students. Very mixed. And he was one of them. Yeah. In London. Yes. Right. I know exactly the situation. Yes. I've, I've been there many, many times. It's hard That's not to life. feel attracted to some... Yeah, sometimes, yeah, stuff, yeah, sometimes Ad- stuff I'm happens. an adult teacher. I, I was in my 30s. I think this guy was about 25. Okay. And you know what it was? He wore all the other students. I had all different nationalities and all the other students wore trainers and jeans and Kazakhstan he was 25 but he wore like proper pants proper trousers and dress shoes like dress shoes and I was like oh my god this guy's got something dress shoes smart black shoes that you would wear with a suit yes okay and uh, he was like I like the formality of the guy uh, very smiley as well and he told me funny stories about drinking camel's milk and vodka and (laughs) uh, and the Ethiopian girl was like in Ethiopia if a girl doesn't want to get married she will just get kidnapped and be made to be married and Kazakhstan would just nod his head as if yes of course (laughs) and so I was so attracted I was like oh my god you know it's all so exotic and I just imagined deserts the human rights Rights in, in, in <laughs> infringement is so exciting. <laughs> no, so you oh. know, and like you can flirt with. Uh, they learn. They, but your students learn. Like he had to learn one particular phrase, which was like, um, "I have booked the restaurant for eight o'clock tonight." And he would look to me for confirmation, and, and instead of, I, and I would just be like, "Yes, Mr. Kazakhstan, what time? Will, eight o'clock tonight. I'll see you in front of the restaurant." He would blush, and I would feel amazing so um it's it's little stories about how i felt and how they felt um that mm. that and because i'm a comedian um that i've made them funny as well like i've, I've written them yeah totally funny. this sounds really great yeah so it's really easy reading short stories so you can just read one story at a time put it down um and i've put in 10 so these are 40 stories from when i've been in france and there are 10 bonus stories at the back of the book about from the UK and um, Australia. Can I just read through the contents? Yeah. Just to, you know, just maybe to, to, to pique people's interest here. So, uh, as you said, 40 stories plus some plus 10 bonus ones. Bonus flirts. I'm just going to read the titles out. Number one, oh, the bread man. Number two, action man. He's my favorite. Yeah? Yeah. Number three, muscles maintenance. Not bad. Number four, Maribel Terrible. Maribel's a ski resort. Ah. Number five, Mr. Expressionless. Number six, Test Your English. Number seven, Speedy Man. Number eight, Splat. Oh. (laughs) Number nine, The Lumberjack. Really chopping down wood in a forest. Think mountains, think heavy man, muscle man. Checked shirt, axe over his shoulder. Pure testosterone. Chopping trees all day. (laughs) And who knows what else in the evening. (laughs) Number 10, body language. It goes on, listeners. Yes, yes, yes. Bonus flirts. Number 41, Sir Teacher. Oh, I want to know all these stories. Can you tell us one more? Yes, there was, um, I remember it was in Paris, actually. I was going to do a gig and I ran into a bar and I uh, asked a guy um, if they did comedy downstairs and he and he's and I asked them if they were open in August and he didn't respond to me in French. He just mimed. He said, no, in August. And he started swimming with his hands. He was miming and I was laughing. Um, and after that bar, I quickly went to my comedy bar and the 
the audience was young, like they were about 20, 25. And I was gigging in French and the MC said to the audience, okay, well, when you came in tonight, I asked you to put one word in a bucket. Uh, Tonight we're going to ask all the comedians when they come up on stage to take one word uh, and they must use that word in their their set. And I was like, fucking hell, mate, I'm... I'm doing this in French. I can't improvise in French as well, but I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. I get up on stage and the group in front of me, they're very good looking for some reason. They're very good looking. And this one guy, about 25, very artistic. He had a had long hair up in a man bun. Uh-huh. Mr. Man bun, I called him. Oh, yeah. Very good looking guy. Uh, I asked him, could he please, I didn't have my glasses, could he please take one word, read the word. He took one word. He said, orgasm. And I said, are you just fucking making that up? And he's like, no. It's, he got embarrassed. He's like, no. It says orgasm. I promise. I promise. I was like, all right. I didn't know how to use this word. At the end of my set, I just did the gig as normal, made them laugh. They were coming with me. It was really fun. And at the end of the set, I said, thank you. And something amazing happened tonight in Paris the 9th because for the first time, a man in the front row, a very good-looking man, gave me an orgasm. And he just (laughs) totally blushed. He totally blushed. And it made me laugh. So little stories like that. That's fantastic. Yeah, little glimpses into my comedy life and life in France. Really good. Really, really good. Okay. Well, look, uh, you know, I hope that the shows go well. Thank um, you. COVID permitting and all that stuff. Yes. And, um, and uh, I hope that my listeners buy your book. Yes. And, um, oh, I have two other books that maybe people will be interested. I wrote a book about a little for children, actually. It's called Dude's Got a Snowboard, about a marmot who gets lost in the winter and becomes addicted to snowboarding. A marmot? Yes. What's a marmot? Ah, a marmot is like a a beaver or a castor castor it's like a little animal basically like a a bit like a squirrel like a sort of like, like a, a big squirrel a big squirrel on, a squirrel on steroids yeah. right who has who has an eating problem um an obese squirrel mm-hmm. um but who normally hibernates in the winter they're in france these i see them in the summertime and uh this little marmot gets thrown out of home so she has to go snowboarding with all the other animals at night time. So, and she gets addicted to snowboarding. Very easy to do. Mm-hmm. So that's out uh, on this on Amazon as well. You'll see it on my um, – I'll give you the link for my, my author page. And I have another book called Toffee Apple, which is a woman's chick lit story about a girl who thinks um, she's really bad at relationships and she thinks she's gay, but she's not. So um, it's really uh, an awkward but funny story about this girl um, – finding out more and accepting herself for who she is great yeah <laughs> yeah sounds good no, this no is it's brilliant. fun i promise this is amazing marie you do so many things you know doing the comedy writing books and, and and things thank you so much for coming to talk to me and my audience it was fun it was fun i haven't seen you for so long so yeah. to catch up on like comedy stories so yeah. funny luke yeah, it's a good laugh isn't yes it? yeah yeah it's good it's nice to just yeah nice to catch up and just to kind of yeah, share these stories and things, you know. And our Paris life and see how things are going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you know, best of luck with the shows Thank and all you. that stuff. And, you know, see you soon. I hope, you know, hopefully this virus will just go, oh, you know what, guys? Never mind. You know, I hope the virus just goes away and we can just all go back to doing fun comedy shows like normal. But it's not going to happen. No, we just have to adjust. Yes, we do. I'm, I'm rubbish at ending these things. Okay. So it, I'm just going to say stop now. <laughs> Goodbye and <laughs> thank you for listening. 
Thank you again to Marie. After finishing the recording, we both realised that there were other stories that we'd forgotten to tell, including the time that Jerry Seinfeld turned up at one of our little comedy shows in Paris. Yes, Jerry Seinfeld himself, the, the, the comedian, the famous comedian. Some of you are going, Jerry, what? Jerry Seinfeld, come on. Um, Jerry Seinfeld turned up at one of our little comedy shows in Paris once, fairly recently, and he performed in front of about 20 people, including Marie and me. And um, it was just a little bit awkward, but still amazing and quite surreal. Jerry Seinfeld at one of our shows. What are the odds? So Marie will have to come back for another episode in which we can describe that experience for you. Uh, But um, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, She's good value, isn't she, Marie Connolly? She's funny. uh, She's lovely. Um, Just a reminder about Marie's comedy show, if you're in Paris, and her books, which you can get anywhere in both paperback and Kindle versions. You can get them on Amazon. So if you do Amazon, then you can get these books. So the, the one-woman comedy show is called Sydney, Paris, London, Darling. Uh, you need to check her Facebook page, Marie Connolly Comedy. Connolly, spelt C-O-N-N-O-L-L-Y. You can find the link on the page for this episode on my website, of course, which is helpful, isn't it? Yep, very helpful. Thanks. You're, you're welcome. Uh, Marie's uh, books... Um, including uh, 40 Frenchy feel-good flirts. Um, so there's a link. You'll see a link on this pe- on the page for this episode on my website. You'll see a link uh, for Marie's page on Amazon where you can find her books. The main one we talked about is, as I said, 40 Frenchy feel-good flirts. She writes under the pseudonym Muddy Frank. And um, what was I going to do? I-, I actually wanted to just quickly read... Uh, have a look at her page. So let's see. Muddy Frank, which is her, her sort of pen name. 40 Frenchy Feel Good Flirts is there. We also have another book called Toffee Apple, which has got a five-star rating. Um, and um, it says, Toffee Apple must do better in love with a man. A learning to not give a you-know-what-I-mean-about-what-others-think-of-you humorous chiclet novel. Learning not to give a you-know-what about what others think of you. You know what there is a replacement for a swear word. Learning not to give a, a, a crap, not to give a shit, not to give a fuck about what others think of you. A humorous chiclet novel. And also she wrote this, as was you heard her say, the, 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 the children's story about a marmot that gets lost in the mountains. It's called Dude's Got a Snowboard. Anyway, check those out. And it might be a good idea for you to, you know, purchase them, read them and boost your English even further. So let's go through. I said before that I would go through vocab, didn't I? The vocab I listed at the start. So let's go through this. I need to do it fairly quickly. Otherwise, this episode will become so long that some people won't listen to it. See what I mean? Anyway, so here we go. Let's go through that vocab again from the beginning of the episode. Did you notice any of the words and and phrases I listed before? Did you get a sense of what they mean? I mean, obviously, you must have missed... Some of them, maybe all of them, I don't know. Uh, But let me go through them again, and I'm going to clarify them as quickly as possible. I'm not giving these phrases the full LEP premium treatment, because if you're a premium Lepster, you'll know that I go into, I like to go into lots of proper detail uh, when, you know, dealing with vocabulary in those episodes. Uh, But I might put these 
I might put this list into a, an upcoming episode of Luke's English Podcast Premium so I can make sure that you learn the vocab properly and we can do the usual memory tests and pronunciation drills as well. So I might do that. But now, here, now, here and now, this is the sort of quick version. Let's call it the 10 peso version. And you think, some of you are going, what's this thing about 10 peso version, 20 peso version? Oh, it's from a film that I love. Um, it's called Three Amigos. Um, Steve Martin film. It's another story for another time. I'm, I'd love to do an episode about Three Amigos. It's one of my favourite films. It's one of um, my family's favourite films. Anyway, so the vocab. And if you're looking at the page for this episode, the vocab is listed um, in the middle there. So I'm just going back to the same list I was reading from before. So first we've got to backtrack. You can't backtrack now. To backtrack means to go back. Okay, so um, in, in one sense, it could be to go to a previous topic in the conversation, you know, just to backtrack for a moment. Or if Marie says to me, you can't backtrack now is when I kind of accidentally said something that seemed to be a bit rude. What was it? I said that I remembered Marie because she was a TEFL teacher, not because of her um, her amazing personality. And then I tried to backtrack. I was like, well, obviously, uh, you know, I tried to explain and apologise. And she said, you can't backtrack now. Uh, to stick in someone's craw, it's stuck in my craw. It's not a phrase that I use that often, but um, it basically means if, so- if something sticks in your craw, it means it bothers you. It means it's difficult to swallow, actually. A craw is an animal's throat, okay? Um, if something sticks in your craw, it means it's sort of, it's difficult to accept, it's difficult to deal with, uh, it bothers you, hard to swallow. Mm. Um, to be over it, maybe I'm not over it, you know, the experience of... of um, the Russian joke. Uh, clearly, I'm still talking about it because maybe I'm not over it. If you're over something, it means you've dealt with it and you've moved on. Deep scars. Scars are... So if you get a cut on your arm, let's say you fall over and you scratch your arm on a piece of glass or metal, you might have a big cut on the arm and obviously the you know, you'll get it cleaned up and the, doc- the doctor will sew it up with stitches and stuff. But if it's a bad cut, then there might be a mark there forever on your skin and that's called a scar, okay? A deep, uh, deep scars. You can also have emotional scars or mental scars as well. So um, deep scars, like, you know, basically if you've had a bad experience, it, it stays with you. You're still sort of traumatised by it. Uh, you can say that there are deep scars, okay? I'm not that traumatised by the Russian joke or... I mean, the Russian joke is just an example, really. It's just an... What's the word? It's just an illustration of... Um, it. What that represents is the... the sort of pain and frustration of um, people not noticing that you've done something clever. But I mean... Anyway, I shouldn't go into this now. I feel like, as a comedian, if you ever, if you do something on stage and it doesn't work, it doesn't get a laugh, you can't really blame anybody else but yourself. I know that. So, anyway, I just felt like I needed to say that. It's all right, Luke. It's fine. Okay. So, um, to wilt, uh, Marie said that she wilted in front of that audience of young guys. Were they a rugby team or a football team or something? And she she suddenly lost her confidence and she she kind of wilted. So um, when I've I've explained this on the podcast before, it's come up in the past to wilt. So a leaf on a plant, if the leaf 
dies, it will win- wilt. It kind of goes, it shrinks and dies. It's, it's quite sad, really, isn't it? So to shrink and, and die, like a leaf that's going dry. Yeah. She wilted in front of them. But then, obviously, she came back the next night and the night after that, and she 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 dealt with it. She rectified the situation. Uh, to be sick to your stomach, it's when you just feel so so annoyed, so frustrated, so uh, so fed up, so angry. Uh, it makes me sick to my stomach. Oh, these lying politicians just makes me it makes me sick to my stomach. Um, Marie felt st- sick to her stomach. Uh, sick all the way down to her stomach. It's like a, a great expression to describe a really awful feeling that you might have. In this case, it's because Marie had a bad gig. And if, if you're a comedian, you'll know that that does make you sick to your stomach. It's a horrible feeling. Um, to be swallowed up. Can I please be swallowed up? To, to Well, you know the word swallow, don't you? It's, you know, when you eat something. Mm. You swallow it, right? You chew your food, um, yum, 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 um, and then you swallow it. Okay, so to be swallowed is the passive form. It means something swallows you. But um, to be swallowed up, okay. So if you are really ashamed and embarrassed, you just want a hole to swallow you up. You just want to be able to just disappear into a hole. You see, I just. Can I please be swallowed up? And the, often the expression is, um, I wanted the earth to open up, or I wanted the earth to just swallow me up. Um, okay. Uh, a halter neck top, I mean, I've described it, it's basically an, an item of women's clothing that, that's quite revealing, quite a sexy top. Um, okay, that's a halter neck top. If you want to know the spelling of these, go to the website and, and, and check them out. If you need, I mean, I can spell it for you now, H-A-L-T-E-R-N-E-C-K. But the best way is to actually see the words with your eyes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. um, all right. To snuggle under the duvet. Snuggle under the duvet. She said, if I could have, I would have snuggled under the duvet and just stayed in bed for a year. If you snuggle under, so that, all right, the duvet is what covers your bed. It's a nice thick blanket. Maybe it might have... If it's a really nice one, it might have um, like goose feathers in it or something like that. But if it's just one you bought from Ikea, it's got synthetic fibres in there. But it's a nice thick blanket that uh, you you cover yourself with when you sleep. Okay? Uh, to snuggle is to like get into... Mm, 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 get into a nice, comfortable position. Yum, uh, yum, yum, yum. No, that's not the right... It's not yum, yum, yum. That's when you eat. What's the word for snuggling? Just snuggle up under the duvet. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay. Then Alex Love, who's a, a friend of the podcast. He was in a recent episode. What was it? Four-way four way call. Comedian friend of mine. Big fan of Queen. Uh, none of the listeners can understand what he says for, for unknown, mysterious reasons. Alex Love, our mutual friend. And I said he's lovely by name and lovely by nature. Okay, which is a which is a sort of standard structure, blah 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 by name and blah 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 by nature. Hmm, 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 hmm. I had a friend of I had a friend at university. Here's an example. This is weirdly one of maybe I'm oversharing here, but uh, this is weirdly one of those things that bothers me. 
I don't know if you're like me, but if you ever have a sleepless night or something like that, sometimes you, you just random memories come back to you of moments where, like, moments that you wish you could could fix. I mean, for me, it's like often tiny little details that I shouldn't be worrying about. But I had a friend at university. Um, yeah, I'll say his name. I think there's no harm in it. Uh, his name was Gareth Cross. Okay. And, um, and I, I really liked him. We're not in touch anymore. Just lost touch. You know, the way you lose touch with people. He's not on face. He's not on social media and stuff. So I don't know what he's doing. I doubt that he's listening to this. I'd be very surprised. If you are, get in touch. It'd be nice to hear from you. But anyway, Gareth Cross, right? So I remember in the early days when I first was getting to know him, and it was all a bit awkward, you know, when you're sort of 18, 19, you're not necessarily the most confident person. And I didn't know him very well. And Gareth was, um, we used to call him Gaffer. That was his nickname. He's from Northern Ireland. Gaffer was sort of, uh, how do I explain? Well, he was... uh, he had a he he had a reputation for being a bit angry. He had anger in him. He was great, but he had some anger in him, which is kind of uh, ironic when you consider his name is Cross. Okay, to you know, you know the adjective to be cross. You know, I'm I'm going to get very cross with you in a minute. Something I might say to my daughter if I'm trying to stop her doing something. To get cross means to get angry. Okay, so um, Gareth Cross, Cross by name and Cross by nature. You see. But, it, but the point is of this story that once we were playing football and he was running down the left wing and he, he kicked the ball. Um, what am I trying to say? He crossed the ball from the left wing towards the goal. To cross the ball is to kick the ball so it goes across the, the pitch towards the um, the penalty area. To kick the ball across the pitch, to cross the ball. So he crossed the ball and I tried to make a joke. Here's another story of me making a joke and people not understanding it. This is like my worst fear of like saying things that have mean layers of meaning and people misunderstanding them. It's like, no, no, that's not what I meant. Anyway, I said to him, hey, hey, cross by name, cross by nature. And he was like, Ugh. he said something. I don't remember what he said, but he, 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 he thought that I meant you're angry, aren't you? Ha ha ha! You're an angry person. I didn't mean that. I meant Gareth Cross, Cross by name, Cross by nature, because you just crossed the ball. But no, he didn't get it. And for some reason, sometimes that comes back to me, and I just wish I could go back and go. No, no, no! I wasn't saying you were angry. I like you. You're not angry. If you are angry, that's fine. I just meant just. Ah, uh, never mind. It's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> what have we got? Next, um, a coping strategy. A coping strategy. This is something you would do to cope with something difficult, to, to be able to deal with something. Emotionally, something's, how do you manage something? So, for example, the, the pain of an embarrassing experience, how do you cope with that? If you've gone on stage and you've died on, on your ass, which is the phrase that comedians use, if you've gone up there and they haven't laughed or maybe they've, they've taken against you and you've had a really bad time and you've, you've, you feel terrible, how do you cope with it? You know, you might just kind of be philosophical about it and go, it's all right. You know, it's, it happens from time to time. Uh, it's nothing personal. It's just football fans and they're, you know, they're just horrible and there's nothing you can do about it. 
You know, you might just be philosophical about it, or maybe you choose to do something else like Alex Love. You just eat biscuits and listen to Queen and get into your safety zone in order to cope with it. Or maybe you snuggle under a blanket and just try and, you know, just get comfortable and and just comfort yourself like that. So these are all coping strategies. Okay. It's not just for comedy. Obviously, it's for any difficult experience. All right. Um, A way that you cope with it. Okay. Uh, Next, to rectify. Uh, get back on stage as soon as possible and rectify. If you rectify the situation, it means you make it right again. You make it okay again. What does I'm curious? What does Oxford? What are the Oxford dictionaries? What is the Oxford dictionary? Get it right, Luke. What's the Oxford Learners Dictionary definition for rectify? It's quite a nice word, isn't it? To rectify something is to put right something that is wrong. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, my. Definition is confirmed by Oxford Dictionaries. But, you know, we knew that you were right, Luke. We trust you. Thank you very much. What is this conversation that I'm having? Who are you? I'm here to help, Luke. Don't ask too many questions. Just trust me. Trust your feelings. Stretch out with your feelings, Luke. Use the force. Oh, okay. It's some kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi type thing, is it? Yeah, but not as cool as that. I'm a bit more shouty. Okay. It'd be nice to have Obi-Wan Kenobi. Luke, trust your feelings. I will. Thanks very much. The Force will be strong. The Force will be with you, always. If the Force is with me, always, why do I... Why do you wish... Why is that? The Force will be with you, always. But then they say, may the Force be with you. I thought it was always with me. Why are you... Okay. Get on with it. All right. So... La 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 To rectify the situation. Yeah. Um, dainty and pastries dainty is a nice word it means small and uh small and cute okay um small and cute uh small and pretty okay like dainty little french pastries if you ever go to a a french um bakery boulangerie as they insist on calling them in this language they're called french or something um beautiful language the language of moliere uh De- uh, the, often the little the cakes are very small and beautiful, dainty little pastries. Uh, but um, uh, where was I? So uh, d- pastries are things like croissants, pan au chocolat, or little cakes and things. So she, Marie said, "I'm not used to French uh, dainty pastries. I prefer the big fat Australian ones." Okay, uh, self-soothing something you would do to soothe yourself, to make yourself feel better, like having a nice cup of hot chocolate and and um, just, you know, watching your favourite uh, TV show or just reading a nice book and just forget, forgetting about the, the, the nasty things in the world. Ah, self-soothing, like eating biscuits and listening to Queen, for example. Um, to pay through the nose, this means to, 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 to pay a high price. Something that's expensive, you pay through the nose. For example, I said, I will pay through the nose. I just want to get the best tea I can get. Okay, pay through the nose. He says, typing it into uh, into OxfordDictionaries.com. Good, good online dictionary. To pay too much money for something is what they say. All right. And I'm willing to pay too much money as long as I get decent tea. Proper tea, proper tea. What was that joke about? Now, I made a joke earlier. I said Marks and Spencer's sell property. They don't sell property. They sell 
proper tea. There's another one, which I have told on the on the podcast before, like a, a joke that no one has written, which is, what is it, Marxists? Hmm. Marxist proper, proper tea is theft. Have you ever heard that joke? I have said it on the podcast before. Why do Marxists only drink tea made with tea bags? Because proper tea is theft. Mm, no, that doesn't. That's not a very well told joke. Here's another one from another website. Why do anarchists drink herb? That nah, this is better. Let's. They've said anarchists. Let's go with Marxists because it's. It is actually specifically something that Marx said. I think. Hello, I am fact-checking myself here. It wasn't actually Marx who coined that expression, property is theft. It was a slogan coined by French anarchist Pierre-Joseph Proudhon in his 1840 book, What is Property? Theft, apparently. Or an inquiry into the principle of right and of government. So it wasn't Karl Marx. Actually, Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. But it's something that's associated with the concept of anarchism which often is kind of aligned with Marxism in some way. All right, then. Uh, Why do Marxists drink herbal tea? Because all property is theft. Not my joke, that one. The Marks and Spencers one was better. Oh, thanks. You've got my back. Yeah, haven't you? Thanks. Where was I? Uh, To pay through the nose. Next. A hub for Antipodeans. A hub would be a place where lots of people go to meet or a place where lots of things interconnect. Okay? I mean, if you are, if you're in IT, information technology, you probably know about hubs. A hub would be a place where lots of maybe internet connections all arrive at the same place or maybe other types of connection all arrive in one hub. Um, yeah, it could be like a kind of a router where you can connect lots of computers to the same router. That's a hub. But also a hub can be a place where lots of people go. So um, a hub for Antipodeans. Uh, the Redback Pub was a hub, uh, a, a sort of a pub hub. A hub pub? Hub pub pub hub pub. A, a pub that was a hub for Antipodeans. This is becoming very Alan Partridge. Thanks for pointing that out. Who's Alan Partridge? Never mind. Listen to, look in the episode archive if you want to know. Uh, Antipodeans are people who live, um, who are people who are from or live in the um, Southern Hemisphere. Antipodeans, I'm just checking. I just want to be sure. Um, Oh, okay. They, according to Oxford Dictionaries, it's specifically connected with Australia or New Zealand. The Antipodes, Um, he says trying to spell it uh, uh, the antipodes is a way of referring to australia and new zealand often used in a humorous way it's kind of it's just a, a, a kind of a nice word antipodes i don't know if it's really i don't think there's any negative or pejorative sense to it but it is something that in britain we say in reference to australia and new zealand another one is down under which i think only refers to australia Hmm. Any Kiwis listening, let me know. Do you find Antipodes or Antipodean to be pejorative or negative at all? And when when Brits say down under, 
Do you think they ref- they're referring to Australia uh, only, or does it include New Zealand as well? It's certainly Australia. You can definitely say it's Australia. You've got to be a bit careful because, you know, New Zealand is not Australia, and you have to make sure that, you know, you don't say that they're the same because they're not. Hello, here I am again, uh, just making this episode that little bit longer. So Down Under does refer to Australia and New Zealand, okay? Right. And also the expression Antipodean or the Antipodes is not really a negative phrase, although it is generally used by people in the UK. Okay, so there you go. So it's a kind of way of of the Brits referring to Australia and New Zealand. So the Antipodes, which sounds a bit formal and a bit funny, and just down under, which is um, a very common phrase. All right. Next, to be up shit creek without a paddle should be self-explanatory, really. A creek is like a little river. So if you are, I mean, this is not a very nice image, um, which is the whole point of the expression. A creek that's made of shit, shit creek, like a river of shit, mm-hmm. and you're sailing up it in a canoe or something and you don't have a paddle, that's a pretty bad situation to be in. Don't you think that's a terrible situation to be in? So if you are up shit creek or up shit creek without a paddle, it means you're in a really bad situation. And Marie said, because of Brexit, I'm up shit creek. Okay, because, you know, when when the UK f- finally leaves properly, uh, which is bound to happen at the end of the year, when the transition period ends, then the rights of British nationals, and Marie is a British national because of her, her dad, the rights of British nationals will be um, reduced quite significantly. You might be thinking, what about you, Luke? Are you up shit creek? No, I'm not. I'm all right. I've got a paddle, thankfully, because I've got... Um, uh, I've got a, what they call a carte de séjour. It's like a working permit. Anyway, too much information there. But anyway, to be up shit creek, a snapshot of something. That's just a quick picture, a, 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 an image of a moment. So a snapshot of life in France is just a quick image to capture a moment, in this case, of life in France. Okay. Okay, a bit like a photograph. And there it is, a still image, a snapshot of life in France. In this case, Marie's book is a snapshot of life in France. Okay, next is to be hit on, to be picked up and to be complimented. Now, what I've done to be hit on, right, is when usually guys will hit on girls and it's when they go up like, hey, how you doing? You know, like uh, Joey from Friends, how you doing? Which is how he would hit on girls. Oh, oh, oh what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down and I say, hey, how you doing? To be picked up, that's when a guy's trying to pick you up. It means he wants to, uh, you know, as I said, get uh, romantically involved with you, maybe take you out on a date or something like that. And to be complimented, if, if someone compliments you, it just means they say some nice things about you. You've got beautiful eyes, for example. That's a, that's a nice compliment. So she talked about 40 times that she's been hit on, picked up or complimented by men. Um, abs, um, these are abdominal muscles, ABS. Uh, she said uh, one guy was very white, but he had super fit abs. Fit can mean sexy as well. It means in, in good physical condition, but it also means sexually sexually attractive. Hmm. <laughs> Next, we've got uh, white versus pale. Okay, so Marie said that the Scottish guy was very white. And I sort of laughed because it's. I think pale is probably 
what she was trying to say, you know, the way sometimes the wrong word slips out or something. Maybe she meant to say that because it's quite funny. Because white, for me, is more like your ethnicity. You're either, you know, you're white or you're black or, or, or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> whatever, Luke, you've just covered a huge swathe of the world in under the category of whatever. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, another quick story. When I was living in Japan, um, one of my colleagues told me this. He said that he met uh, one of the students at the school where I was working, and he said, he said to her, who was your teacher yesterday? And she said, oh, um, uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, the English guy, he's very white. And um, my colleague laughed about this a lot because my colleague, was, uh, Phil, was uh, black and from America. And so when this Japanese girl said that I was very white, she meant I was very pale skinned because I am, you know, I've got quite pale skin. I'm English. You know, the sun is, is not my friend. Uh, the sun? What is the sun? I don't know. I only know grey colour, grey sky. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he thought it was funny that she said, he's uh, he's very white. So obviously Phil was laughing because of all the other associations. White would mean, like, culturally white. Like, for example, I like, uh, like I can't dance and, uh, you know, the, all those stupid stereotypes that white people can't dance and they, they, you know what I mean. Okay, so that's white versus pale. So I would say I'm pale. I mean, I am white, obviously, but uh, to describe my skin tone would be pale, I would say. Pale skinned, beautiful pale skin. (laughs) Oh dear, all right. Calf muscles, these are muscles on your legs. The lower part of your leg, the bit from the knee to the ankle, the back, the back of your leg from the knee to the ankle, that is your calf muscle. You've got two of them, one on the right leg and one on the left leg. As, you know, if you, have, if you have two legs or three legs, I don't know, you can have as many legs or as few legs as you like. It's, I'm not judging. Uh, next is a, a sand castle, which is self-explanatory, isn't it? It's a castle made of sand. It's also a Jimi Hendrix song, isn't it? Castles made of sand. Yeah, don't sing it. It would be a bad idea. Okay. Who's talking to who? I don't I don't know. Um, to blush, that's when your face goes red when you're embarrassed. Something that happens to me all the time because for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's my pale skin, but all it, all it takes is for me to... I, I often go, I often blush, which is fine. I think... Um, it's okay. It just means I have a face, right? So, to blush when your face goes red because you're sort of embarrassed or shy or something. The contents of a book. That's sort of, at the beginning of the book, you have a list of the um, the chapters in the book. We call that the contents page. And to pique someone's interest. Pique, spelt P-I-Q-U-E. That's not P-E-A-K, the peak of a mountain, no, this is to pique someone's interest. It comes from French, P-I-Q-U-E. Uh, if you pique someone's interest, it's kind of like you, you spike their interest or you, you, you kind of uh, get their interest. Hmm, like, a, you know, clickbait on the internet. If I just go onto YouTube, and uh, let's see what the YouTube algorithm suggests to me, which one of these things is going to pique my interest. So I've got uh, bass guitar videos. I've got a Paul McCartney interview. Um, I've got um, 
Steve Coogan, uh, Alan Partridge audiobook, uh, which you can listen to on YouTube. And I've got um, um, Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher's Funniest Moments. Most of those things pique my interest. But if I see, for example, Paul McCartney breaks down his most iconic songs and I go, hmm, seems interesting. That's piqued my interest. Okay, fine. Um, then we have uh, to uh, to mime, M-I-M-E. That's when you do actions with your body without saying any words, without making noises. The classic mimes are, you know, do you fancy a pint? Do you want to go for a drink? That's where you mime the action of, you, as if you've got a pint glass in your hand and you lift it up to your lips as if you're drinking. Do you fancy a pint? Okay. Or other, there's millions of them, right? Um, there's stuff like, can I have the bill, please? Which is where you pretend to write your signature, right? Or or um, other ones would be, I mean, the, the classic mimes would be, I'm stuck inside an invisible box. My hands are pressing against the walls. I'm in an invisible box. Oh no, here's a little window which I'm opening and closing. Or the other mime is, I'm pulling a rope. Pulling a rope. But there's no rope there. It's the magic of mime. Uh, or another one would be, I'm, I'm walking into the wind. I'm walking into the wind, but there is no wind. It is the magic of mime. Uh, Amber Minogue, friend of the podcast, Amber, from Amber and Paula on the podcast... Uh, she studied mime at university for two years. <sighs> what? I know. Two years of mime. <laughs> How do you study mime for two years? So the first three months, pulling a rope. Second three months, stuck in a box. I don't, I don't know. But to be fair to her, if she does get stuck in, in, in invisible boxes, I'm sure she knows exactly what to do. We also have a man bun, which is a sort of uh, trendy uh, hip uh, haircut for men, young men these days, where they pull all their long hair up into a little bun at the top. And there it is. All the hipsters, uh, hip men have their hair up in a man bun these days. I remember when I was in Japan, it must have been 2003, and... Loads of Japanese guys had man buns then. It was the first time I saw man buns. I'm sure it comes from Japan or maybe just from that general part of the world. You know, you, you mean the, the, the whatever part of the world, Luke? Uh, anyway, a man bun. Women can put their hair in a bun as well, which is the same thing, like bunching up their hair into a, it's like a ball at the back of the head. And then you stick a, a kind of a spike or chopsticks through it, right? Oh, imagine being able to do, imagine being able to put chopsticks in your hair. I don't know if that is uh, seriously, like culturally inappropriate. Is it in any place? Is it really wrong? Like, is it a sign of extreme bad luck to put chopsticks in your hair? I don't know. This episode is too long. <clears throat> they won't. Some people will go, oh, no, I can't listen to this. It's too long. Those poor fools. <laughs> Next, we have uh, Chicklet. I've explained that. Literature, primarily aimed at women. Books for books for women about romantic stories and stuff like that. Uh, for example, Bridget Jones's Diary is maybe the most famous example of Chicklet. So, that is that. There is the vocabulary. And this is the end of this episode. 
Okay. Now, very quickly, some of you uh, are wondering, hey, Luke, what's coming up in the future for Luke's English podcast? Well, who knows? Uh, Nobody can predict the future except weather forecasters. It's like just them. They can see the future and no one, it's like no one's amazed. It's called science, Luke. Ah, right. See, as usual, I have more episodes ideas than I have time, but I do have a few interviews lined up, including some more friends that you might not have heard on the podcast before and some regular guests that you're probably waiting to hear from too. Yes, episodes with Amber and Paul are in the pipeline. It's just a bit tricky to find times when we're all free. Basically, more conversations with guests are coming up, as well as the usual episodes on my own on various topics. So it's going to be more of what you normally get with Luke's English Podcast. Right, I'll let you go now. I'll let you go back to your life. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Check the episode page on my website where you will find transcripts for 95% of what I am saying in the introduction and ending parts of this episode, plus other things like a photo of Marie and me. Ooh, Luke, a photo! plus the comment section and things like that. I often put other things on the website page for you to check out as well, including little YouTube videos relating to the episode or other bits and pieces. If you are listening to this on YouTube, uh, I wonder if YouTube has allowed the uh, automatic subtitles or not. I always add them, always. And sometimes YouTube just goes, no, I will not give you automatic subtitles because I I am YouTube and sometimes I say no. So check if there are automatic subtitles. You know, they, they're not completely correct, but, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. It's like partially, it's probably about 90% correct. When I'm on my own, it tends to get almost everything I say. When I'm with a guest, the YouTube algorithms can't really handle it yet. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to uh, smash that like button. Okay, guys. Don't forget to like and subscribe, okay? Okay, because that helps. That just helps. It does. It helps um, my videos get promoted and stuff. I don't know if the YouTube algorithms are promoting my audio-only episodes on YouTube. But uh, anyway, smack that like button, okay, guys? Don't forget to to, uh, subscribe as well. I look forward to reading your comments on the website. Follow me on Twitter, at English Podcast which is where I'm also quite active. Sign up to Luke's English Podcast Premium to access all the other episodes I make, all focused on helping you build your English in various ways. Have a good one. Be excellent to each other and party on in your own sweet way. Speak to you again soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.